0: I would like for you to explore with me this evening the Exodus chapter 15. I want to read just beginning at verse 22, just a few verses, because what I have to say actually covers 15, 16, and 17, so just a few verses of chapter 15 of Exodus. Exodus. The 22nd verse begins, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Let's pray for a moment. Father thank you for. This day, and for the opportunity we had to rest and to play and to nap and to just enjoy the gift that you gave to us. And tonight, we ask that you would give us another gift the gift of insight into your word, the gift of hearing what it is that you would say to each one of us that you might be glorified and your purpose and will. May be achieved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you, who is your provider? You would have to say to me, provider of what? before you could answer my question. In today's world, we have an internet provider, a cell phone provider, a health care provider, insurance provider, child care provider, and the list goes on depending on what it is that we need. In ancient biblical times, the people also had a variety of providers, only they viewed those providers as God's. There were lots of gods in those days. No one god was more important than any other god, and you could worship as many as you would like because they weren't really very demanding gods. They didn't really require a lot of attention, just sacrifices at various times of the year or special sacrifices whenever you really needed something special. So if you're a god, you're the God of the universe. And you want to select uh, a people to represent you in the world. A world in which they have been shaped to accept the reality of many gods. How do you change them? How do you transform them into representatives that truthfully portray an accurate picture of who you are and what you are about. In today's text, it, we, we get a glimpse of God's process for Israel. And so let me quickly recap the story. God's people have completed crossing the Red Sea. They have now had a song and praise session led by Miriam They've been singing and dancing over the destruction of the Egyptian forces sent by Pharaoh to bring them back to slavery. Whatever the water supply they brought with them from Egypt is depleted. It's been three days, they've used it all up, and now they're at the f- day four and they have no water. The Lord tells Moses after they grumble and complain about having no water to throw this log into the water. He does so, and the water becomes fit to drink. It's not too many days later where they have no food. They complain again, and God sends manna. He feeds them, takes care of them. But when you read this story, this text, this this, this is not about water becoming sweet or toast every morning, called manna. This is a story about God and his persistent commitment to provide for the needs of his people. These are illustrative stories designed to give us a picture of the ways of God, which by the way is what we've been talking about this whole weekend, understanding the ways of God because it's understanding the ways of God that enable us to have peace in times of stress. God's got a people on his hands that have have lived under oppression for so long they think the oppressor or the oppressor's gods have been supplying their needs. That now the security is gone the security of slavery is gone. And the question is, how do you survive when you're free? One of the challenges Israel faced, as we we face it as well, is a tendency to fail to realize that all that we have is provided for us by God. The air we breathe, the capacity to breathe, the brain to think, the food, to eat, the car we drive, the job we have, the people in our lives. Everything is provided for us by a loving expression of a caring, faithful, incredible God. So for Israel, God will use this wilderness journey to teach his people who the real provider is. Just like he often uses our wilderness, to teach us the same lesson. For some of us, we don't really get it who really provides what we have. Israel has grown instinctively dependent upon their Egyptian masters, Therefore, to facilitate their transformation, God will have to find a way to change their instinctive dependence on Egypt to a conscious, spiritual dependence on Him. All of us know how difficult it is to change habits that have been formed over years of repetition. Israel has developed habits of dependence on Egyptian provisions that are so deep that they are now instinctive. God realizes that to get Israel where he needs them to be will require the more than just a change in their physical location, but a change in their emotional and spiritual location as well. To move them toward that end, he will need a variety of events to transpire rather quickly after their departure from Egypt. To accomplish his goal, he will need to do several things. He will need a traumatic experience they will, that will facilitate a sudden change. He'll need a change of their daily routine that will affect their instinctive behavior. What we see in these verses in Exodus is how God employs both approaches. The splitting of the Red Sea may be understood as the traumatic experience that facilitates that sudden change, but that's only step one. Bringing them through the Red Sea is only the beginning of what God will need to do to get his people to be what he wants them to be. It's designed to help his people break away from their total dependence upon Egypt. Talk about something traumatic. What, what could be more traumatic than the walk through the Red Sea on dry ground? I, I still get goosebumps when I see Charlton Heston standing there raising his hands in that water bouncing up on both sides and the people walking through on dry ground. And then to see those who bullied them and whipped them and enslaved them and oppressed them to be completely destroyed in the same sea that they just walked through. Imagine what this must have been feeling like to the people of Israel. It was God's final punishment upon Pharaoh and his army. But it was more more than merely punishing the Egyptians. Because if God just wanted to punish the Egyptians, he could have done all of his punishing with the ten plagues. But God wanted Israel to see, he wanted them to see, he wanted them to see, to witness this, this Egyptian defeat. He wanted them to see what kind of God he was. Israel needs to see God's response to this imminent threat of their survival walking through the Red Sea, seeing those chariots coming after them. They needed to see God do something. And so chapter 14 and verse 13 says, But Moses said, Keep where you are and have no fear. Now you will see the salvation of the Lord, which he will give you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see. Again, But even with that victory, God's job is not done. He, he still has to find a way to change what has become their daily routine of dependence. It will require a change in Israel's daily routine to affect that instinctive behavior that they have developed. Nothing changes daily routine like needs that aren't being met in the usual way, which is what happens to us when something occurs that breaks our routine. It gets our attention, and then we realize something has to change when our routine is changed. Nothing shakes up our lives like not having what we need, be it water or Not having a job with a regular paycheck the way we've become accustomed to. Unmet needs with the usual source of those needs no longer being available changes our routine really quickly. It rattles us. Israel will need the wilderness to see that in all of their seasons of need and Seeming situations of impossibilities, the Lord is the one who will provide and send deliverance straight from above. God wanted them to get that. Your provisions come from me. They will see that in, during this wilderness journey that they will learn they can count on God to provide. It's the privilege that comes with being his People. But notice how this desert seminar unfolds in the text that I read to you. They've been singing, dancing. They're now at the wilderness of Shur. No water. The water that's there is bitter. Certainly God knew that the people could not survive without water. Yet he led them to a location where he knew there would be no water. it's here he he would teach them three important principles that it would do well for us to learn as well. The first is this. Don't take what you have now for granted. Whatever the water supply they carried with them from Egypt, it was not enough. Things in life can change quickly. Take nothing granted the second principle that he wanted them to get was your survival was in the hands of God not in the Nile what you depended on in the past is not guaranteed to be there in the future your survival isn't even in your own hands your survival is in God's hands and then the third was God will not always use supernatural means to meet your needs, but he will find a way to meet them. The text says that the Lord showed Moses a log. Do you think that log just showed up? That log was there all along. That log was there before they got there. So you see, you cannot, you cannot always expect God just to do a miraculous thing to meet your needs. Sometimes God just takes ordinary stuff right in front of our eyes and uses it to meet our needs. Now there's one more important statement that I want to make in this message. The lack of awareness of God's presence in ordinary situations lends itself to a denial of God's activity in extraordinary situations if I can't see God at work in the situations I face every day, if I can't see him providing for me in the ordinary day-to-day experiences of life, I won't look for him to do the impossible when I reach those moments in life when only a miracle will save me. In other words, if I'm not used to seeing God, if I'm not used to expecting God to work every day, if I don't see him providing for me every day, when I get in a tough situation, I'm not going to look for God. I haven't been used to looking for God. Because there will be no basis for trust. If I do not develop trust in the everyday experiences of my life, why will I suddenly have trust when I get in a difficult situation of life? Trust is not like a water faucet that we just turn on when the light turns green. Trust is built over time. It's seeing God day after day that makes it possible to trust him when you don't see him at all. When I see God in my ordinary day-to-day realities, I realize that God provides even when my context and circumstances does not change. Just like David, my provisions come in the presence of my enemies. Now, why is that so important? Because my life is shaped by the wildernesses of my day-to-day existence, not by the occasional unexplainable miracles. When Jesus rose on Easter morning, it, it wasn't so that we could have a Sunday to celebrate each spring. He rose to be experienced in our day-to-day existence. He rose to be for us what he has always been for his people, providentially providing all that we need. I had a youth pastor when I was pastoring at South Bay. His name was Robert Johnson. He now has grown on to be a uh, great pastor. Uh, chaplain at one of the hospitals. But when Robert came youth pastor, he was leaving a, a job, a very secure job. He was becoming youth pastor at our church. We had barely enough money to pay him. In fact, it was a step of faith on our part to just hire him as our youth pastor. But Robert took the job, both of us, all of us believing Somehow, God would provide for us, and Robert needed a place to live. In the Bay Area, places to live can be extremely challenging, especially when you're li- living off of a limited income. But Robert, who for some reason seems to have all kinds of unusual things happening when it comes to God, decided that he saw an ad in the paper about a house for sale in Fremont, so he decided he would go to the house and take a look. He hasn't one nickel to rub against another. But he believes that God's going to provide. So he goes to the house, and when he gets to the house, there is a long line of people waiting to see this house. Finds himself in line moving up gradually as other people went in, took a look, came out. And after a while, the owner of the house came out. And he's walking around, looking at the different people. And for some reason, he stops when he gets to Robert. And he says to Robert, now you have to remember, Robert's never seen this man before. He stops when he gets to Robert, and he says to Robert, if you like my house. I will see to it that you get it. Robert smiles. I don't know what he was thinking when the guy said this to him. He never said that but he smiles. He goes in. He looks at the house. He thinks the house is beautiful and it is. And he saying to his wife Eunice, wow, I don't know. This This is nice. We'd never be able to afford this house. And the guy walks up to him in the house and says to him, do you like the house? Yes, I like the house. But we, we just don't have any money to afford it. We will find a way for you to afford it. Robert gets the house. The owner finds a way, makes it possible for Robert to have the house, including a hot tub in the backyard which he brought a lot of the young people over as a part of his youth ministry. You see, God God finds a way to provide for his people. And sometimes the reason we are so stressed is because we don't really believe that. We are not really convinced that God will provide for us. So then we must do everything we can to make sure that we provide for ourselves. And then when that fails... We don't know what to do. You would think that after these two traumatic events, Israel would understand who their real master is, but they don't. They move on to the next campsite where the seminar takes a break with plenty of food and water, and they sit and rest. But it's only a temporary pause because as soon as they get to the wilderness of sin, another teaching moment emerges. The food supply has run out now. And their response to the crisis indicates there's still a need for more instruction. I think that our response to our crisis reveals to God where we really are. Nothing nothing reveals how much we have grown or have not grown like unexpected crisis. Chapter 16, verse 2 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people. Shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. See, it's it's extremely difficult for a slave, even after freedom, to grasp any sense of who they are. They've been set free, but to really get that is not quite that simple. Their instinctive reaction to this terrible hunger includes reminiscing about the good old days in Egypt, which were not good old days. The miracle of the Red Sea and the sweet waters of Myrrh was not enough to underdo the shaping done all those years in Egypt. So God will force them into a daily routine that will slowly change their instinctive behavior. The manor will be the instrument that God will use. It will provide a daily routine that will transform what was once their dependence on Pharaoh to a dependence on God. They will be given only enough food for one day at a time. They will learn that to survive, they must become dependent solely on God. It is the last clause of verse 4 that gives us insight as to what is happening under the radar. God said that I may test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Will they discover? Will they come to realize who they are? And as a result of realizing who they are, will they obey my instructions? brings me to my second point mate on this part of the sermon. And it is this, the inability to grasp who we are causes our perceptions of ourselves not to keep pace with our transformed reality. Israel didn't get it. They weren't Pharaoh's slaves anymore. They were the people of God. The Red Sea once and for all ended the Egyptian relationship and a relationship with the God of their fathers had become their new reality. But if they didn't believe that, it would be difficult for them to see God as their provider. That's also true for you and I. If we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are now God's child. That's our reality. And that reality means we have every right to expect God to provide our needs. If that's not our perception of ourselves, we will have many anxious hours, many sleepless nights, many troubled days over whether our needs will be met because our perception is not keeping pace with our reality. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it in his book Speaking of God as provider for his people, he said this. He keeps his promise a thousand times, and yet the next trial makes us doubt him. He never fails. He is never a dry well. He is never as a setting sun in a fading, fading a meteor. He is never as a melting vapor, a disappearing phenomena. And yet we are vexed with anxieties, molested with suspicion, disturbed with fears as if our God was mirage in the desert. If you continue to read the book of Exodus, you will see that in spite of the Red Sea, the sweet waters of Marah, the daily deliveries of manna, Israel still didn't get it. And my question for you tonight is to you. Several years ago, the National Urban League was run by a fellow by the name of Vernon Jordan, and one evening while he was in Fort Wayne, an assassination attempt was made on his life, Vernon Jordan says that in the 15 minutes that I lay there lying in my own blood on a dark road in a strange city. My whole life passed before me. He said one thing seemed to stop and linger in my mind as I laid there. Jordan said when I was a student in school away from home, I, my mother would write me every day. He said some of the letters were short and some were long, but... Some had news about home. Some would say very little of anything about the family, but every letter always at the end of each letter. After his mother would sign her name, she would always write these words. Remember, son, if you trust God, he'll take care of you. Jordan said, out there on that darkness lying in my blood, my mother's words came back to me. Remember, son, if you trust him, he'll take care of you. He said, when my mother came from Atlanta to Fort Wayne, and stood at my bedside in the hospital, he said, I reached out my hand not as a national leader of the Urban League, but as a mother's child, I grabbed her hand. He said, I said to her, Mama, you told me if I trust him, he'd take care of me. And Mama, I want to thank you. I think there's probably no better words I could pass along to you this evening than, to end this message with than those. If I can share it from my own experience and from the experience of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians all over this planet, if you trust him, he'll take care of you because he's your provider. You could ask yourself if you're in a kind of wilderness experience right now, are you there to test, to be tested? Are you there because God is testing your willingness to trust and obey? Or are you there to be trained so that you might learn how to trust and obey? Whichever side of the coin. You fall on. I stake my life. If You trust him. He'll take care of you. You trust your job, it'll fail you. You trust your friends, they will not always be there. God, you can trust. And if you will, he'll never fail you.